Oh man, <laughs> Casey. Yeah. Sing us a song or something. <laughs> Hang up the phone and call again. I said, sing us a sing us a song or something. I'm I'm doing a recording test real quick to make sure your levels are good. Oh. Uh, <laughs> that, that better go live. Whoa. <laughs> That'll work. I love it. Mic check. We good. All right. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. This is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. What is going on, everybody? This is episode 16 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. I'm Jacob Bratz, JLB Morelia. And today we are joined on this beautiful evening on the Herpeticulture Podcast by the one and only Casey Cannon. How you doing there, Casey? Pretty good, guys. And this episode is sponsored by Mike's Hard Strawberry Lemonade. <laughs> Cold, hard, refreshing. Because Justin can't handle real alcohol. <laughs> this thing's actually pretty good. Not gonna lie. Dude, we didn't come here to talk about your I'm actually I'm habits. sad it's gone. <laughs> well, on this week's episode, we're gonna be discussing <laughs> uh Brettles Pythons, uh here with Casey. Casey's been uh working with Brettles for how long, Casey? How long have you been working with Brettles? Uh since probably about five years now. Five years, so... 2013, 2014, somewhere in there. He's quickly become the man when it comes to Brettles. Yeah, he's... Uh, <clears throat> if anybody follows any of the uh, carpet python forums, you've probably seen Casey post some of his stuff. Uh, he's got some really nice high-end carpets. He's definitely uh, definitely one of the leaders when it comes to Brettles and uh, in the hobby right now, so we're uh, very excited to have him on and discuss uh, some of his projects and uh, some of the U.S. lines of Brettles pythons and... Uh, we're uh, pretty excited about this episode. Because we so, both love brettles. Yeah, especially Justin. Justin's really into brettles. I love mine because they're not mean like yours. Don't talk about my brettles <laughs> like that. <laughs> but yours is prettier. I'm not going to lie. She's not. Uh, yeah, she's very pretty, but her attitude. Come, her attitude is uh, not. No, her attitude's not pretty at all. I fed her last night, and she kept, like, hitting the side of her tub, like, <laughs> constantly, like, while I was feeding everybody else. It was kind of pissing me off. I was afraid she was going to, like, hurt herself on the thing, but. Should have just fed her and got it over with. I did feed her. I fed her, like, first. Feed her again. I want to get You feed fat. them until they stop eating. <laughs> oh, God. That's the general rule. No. Okay. So, we're going to move on with work. this episode. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, I guess to start this off, um, Casey, do you want to tell us about some of the uh, some of the lines of Brettles Pythons available in the U.S. right now? Or before before we jump into that, okay. how about how you got into Brettles? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us, <laughs> tell us how you got into Brettles in the first place. and uh, What was wh- the allure? Yeah. And why you keep them specifically. So, th- what really got me into them was I was looking at Justin Julander's website, uh, Australian Addiction Reptiles, probably back in uh, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. And I saw a picture he had, uh, like, Australia put over it, but they had the Brettles Python pattern over it. And the second I saw that picture, I was like, what kind of snake is that? Mm-hmm. I got to get one. <laughs> and I wasn't allowed to keep snakes back then, so... Like, that was just something I always was looking at. I was like, that is the coolest-looking python. When I can get snakes, I'm going to get one. 
So when I went off to college uh, and I finally had saved up enough money to be able to afford something, I bought a pair of uh, Brettle Pythons and hid them in my dorm room for a couple <laughs> months. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was my start in the Brettle Pythons. Okay. Uh, how how many do you currently keep? What are you, what are you working with right now? Uh, we counting babies or counting adults? All of them. All of them. Ooh, like like fifty of them counting babies wow. and yearlings and nice. my breeding group. Nice man, that's awesome. Damn, that's really cool. That's a, yeah, I mean a lot of those were for sale though, so that's just what's in the basement right now. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah I gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Have you been having uh having some success with uh getting getting some babies out there? I know I've seen a couple people post uh, being very happy with uh with what they've gotten from you recently. Yeah, I've been selling lone males like crazy. Okay. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. When I was at the Charlotte show back in May, um, where I picked up my small male from mm-hmm. uh, Bill Albright at AHP, um, he was saying, like, I asked if it was a male or, well, no, I'm wrong. Because I was like, is it a male or a female? And he's like, oh, it's a male. He's like, everyone's looking for females. No one wants this male. And I was like, well, I do. Here's my money. <laughs> and I was, for some reason, I was thinking he was saying everyone was looking for males, but I think that's rarely the problem. Yeah, I don't really know why. That I really haven't listed my females up that much. I'm kind of, I put them up a little high a couple weeks ago. I put them up for like six hundred bucks a piece, which, uh, no, it probably would be worth that to somebody. But I was, that was kind of my like, if you really want it, take yeah. it. But I kind of want to hold on to these guys for I a little while to see how they shed out. I don't want to part with it, price. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. The, the babies you've been selling are one hundred percent head stone washed, aren't they? Yes, they are. Yeah, so I could definitely see the markup with that, especially on females. Yeah, and the dad is uh, he's a Henrik Affors, okay, which is okay. probably the most popular line of uh, wild-type Braille's pythons in the U.S., mm-hmm. and he's like one of the best examples of that line, too. So you post up pictures of that guy, and people are like, oh, I want that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> so um, how many lines are there floating around in the States and I guess in Europe? I know there's the Affors... The Harris. Um, There's the Afors, the Harris, which are the two newer ones in the U.S. Uh-huh. There's the Hypos. Yep. There are the Casey Lasik line, which are the oldest line. Mm-hmm. And there's the Doug Price, which is the, like, it might be a line, but it might not be a line line. If yeah. that If that makes any sense. <laughs> that's the one that's kind of debatable. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Gotcha. So, yeah, you want to go into, like, the history of those guys a little bit? Yeah. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Here in the U.S.? Because this is something yeah, I'm really so, uh, curious about. Lasix are the most common okay. right now because they uh, were the first that were imported back in 1995. Mm-hmm. So Casey Lasik brought in a group of, I think it was three males and two females over from Sweden. They were all siblings. Uh, and the weird thing is, they were the first ones brought in, but somehow they were carrying the recessive stripe gene, and nobody knew about it. Oh. So we bred those guys the first time, I think it was 1998. And there's genetic stripes in the very first collectible pythons in the U.S. from his line. But yeah, just about everything uh, other than the Doug Price stuff, which we can talk about in a second. Everything before like 2012 in the U.S. traces back to that group of uh, you know three males, two females. Siblings. Wow, gotcha. So they're all very closely related. Yeah. Dang. Uh, <clears throat> where it gets kind of weird about Doug Price's stuff is uh, he got them a year later. And from what I've been told, he kind of has gone off the, the map a little bit right now. Nobody can really get a hold of Doug Price. Uh, 
but they say that he was very sketchy about where he got those animals from. So yeah. there's debate as to like, okay, well, maybe he got them from the same place as Casey Lasik. He may not have. It's just kind of like up in the air. They got them right around the same time. Yeah. Uh, but they're, they're a much rarer line if they are a different one. They look a little bit different. They can throw these like weird aberrant uh, spotty babies. Yeah. And they're a little bit brighter, according to some people. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. But the next three are the ones that Nick brought, Nick uh, Nick Mutton brought in, and I think 2007, and started breeding in like 2012. The mm-hmm. uh, most popular one of those is the Henrik Affors line, mm-hmm. which they are usually a lot brighter orange. I've noticed they have a little bit like blunter of a face too. Hmm. Yeah, I haven't noticed that. That's I haven't really been paying attention I've, either. I've, so. I like I I haven't really paid attention, but I haven't like heard that before. That's the first I've heard of them mm-hmm. having more of a blunter face. I've never even thought thought of they, that being. You know, a people thing. talk about that a little bit. It's uh, it's noticeable when you kind of can see them a little bit. They're like a little bit more bulldoggy looking to me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, their their coloration is very uh, attractive to a lot of people. Okay, and you said those are more of a like an orange e color. Yeah, okay. but you can get orangey color bread lie in every single line. It's okay. just the Henrik Affors. There's a little bit more selective breeding there. Yeah, right. so they're a little bit brighter. Okay, all right. Because cool. that's like I, my two, my my pair. I have no idea where their background is. No, um, that's probably lazy. Most people that get them from I, the show. Yeah. Um, you know, unless you can, if it's from one of these European bloodlines, usually somebody's going to bring it up. Right. They'll specify. But if it's just one, like, like I got it from you know whoever five years ago and then i got this other one from whoever the same time like it's usually a casey lasik thing because after yeah because after reading and stuff about how many you know the handful of lines that are in the states i'm like well if you have a brettles then it has to be at least one of these or a combination of it because right. we're obviously not getting wild bretelli over here so it's like yeah. if you own a bretelli like is there really such a thing as just a bretelli like a generic Kind of like how, you know, there's carpet crosses and people are like, well, it's just a carpet. And it's like, right. is that really a thing with Bredeli? I mean, if you don't know where it comes from, then I guess, yeah. But when it comes down to it, they have to come from one of those lines. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and there are there is another uh, Paul Harris line, which okay. uh, came from Paul Harris over in the UK. Except mm-hmm. I think he was living in Germany when he got a hold of those animals. Uh, they're probably the rarest in the U.S., um, to me, they look very similar to like the LASIK and the Priceline stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a separate, unrelated bloodline. Okay. And then you got the hypos. Yeah, the hypos. Okay, so that yeah. the, so With the hypos are black. The... Uh, we found out that it's uh, not a single gene mutation, but it's probably like three to five genes like playing together to make this like really hypomelanistic, bright orange brittles python. Okay. Very nice. So the the hypos are their their own line within themselves, correct? Uh, yes. Okay. All right. Cool. So, of everything you just named, what would you consider your favorite line to be working with currently? You know, what's your what's your favorite of of all of them? I've got animals that I like from all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I really like my hypo stuff right now. Right. Uh, I'm a big fan of these Afors too coming up. Uh, I've got. Some LASIK stuff that's really good looking, some that's really kind of not. Mm-hmm. You know, I actually yeah. think some of my prettiest wild types are LASIK animals, but okay. yeah, it's, uh, I would say the consistency 
uh, consistently the A4s are probably my favorite right now. Yeah, I've seen a lot of really nice A4s. Um, so what about the uh, stonewashed gene? Where Where is that coming from? Where How did that originate? Okay, so the stonewash, um, the way I've described it to people, it's like a low-level hypo mixed with like a low-level pied. It, uh, it washes out pigment up on the first two-thirds or so of the body. Mm-hmm. And right. I think with a little selective breeding, it's really going to wash it out. So they've got like a whitish wash to them. But then the oranges in there, um, sometimes they'll have like a, like a tangerine, like salmon-y color that you don't see in wild-type red pythons at all, which is really cool. Um, they've shown up in the Casey Lasik line, and recently they've shown up in the Hypo line. So they're actually showing up in these two unrelated bloodlines oh wow that's gotcha. actually it's actually really interesting and the, you guys are saying the the stone wash is going to be is a recessive trait Great. um to an extent yeah to an extent. Uh, here's okay. the confusing thing when it's in the hypos sometimes you can kind of tell when one's ahead okay. because like somehow it plays around with some of those like i said like the hypo thing it has three or four different genes that go together to make this like really bright reduced black pigment yeah so they kind of play around with the stonewash a little bit so sometimes you'll see uh like a hypo stonewash or a hypo hit stonewash and it's like a little bit washed out and it's a little bit brighter mm-hmm. hmm. which i'm not 100 percent sure if you see it in the non-hypos like i'm kind of interested to see how these like afros het stonewash are going to raise up mm-hmm. to see if you can kind of tell if they're a little bit stonewashy looking, even though they're just hets. But right now it's, it's mostly, it's probably recessive. Probably recessive. Okay. All right, Cause cool. we're not too far into the whole stonewash being a thing. No. Right? How, I mean, how long, how like, long has that been around? I would, uh, the first ones were hatched out in 2009. Okay. And okay. then that project, uh, it's actually a really interesting story where they almost died. Uh, from a couple times, they've hatched out in uh, two or three different people's groups. Most of it was Lazic line stuff. But uh, BHB produced the first ones back in uh, 2009, and he thought they were hypobrettles. Because when a stonewash hatches out, it is like five times brighter. Yeah, than I've its seen siblings. pictures of it's them. Like it's like insane yeah. how much brighter a stonewash is than its siblings. They're definitely different. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then another one, it was these, there was a guy, uh, I think his name was Nick Stark. He hatched them out, uh, the second time and then had his collection, uh, he like loaned them out to somebody because he was going through a life change and then they ended up like stealing his animals and they almost starved him to death. Where he hatched out a couple of stonewashed brettles within his clutch of normal brettles. But uh, he was able to eventually, like, get them back from the people that had stolen them, and then he gave those to Nick, and that's where Nick's animals came from, was from uh, Nick Stark's group. Okay. Or Nick Mutton. Is, got, Nick Mutton got them from Nick Stark, is what right. I'm trying to say. Right, yeah, yeah. And then Nick kind of proved out that it was a recessive gene and then was able to, like, kind of actually start selectively breeding and getting some, and that's when they're available now. Wow. That's really cool. And this is one of the first years that like the uh, hypo stonewashed have been available, right? Or have you guys been working with that for quite a while? 
Um, I actually hatched those out uh, in 2017. Okay, so yeah, it's it was a complete fluke. Like I, it was that was kind of crazy because I bred my uh, I bred a hypo like my I had a hypo male and I bred him to my visual stonewash female and I was expecting just to make hats. Right. So didn't someone I'm just doing, like I get a bunch of eggs and then you're raising them up, you're incubating them. And then, first one that hatches out, I'm like, what the heck? Because it's a stonewash. But I wasn't expecting that at all. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. So I was like, what? That, that looks weird. That shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's like a fluke thing where you get like this, uh, what's that word? Um, when you get virgin birth in snakes. Parthenogenesis? Parthenogenesis, that's the right word. Uh, yeah, so I thought it was that. So I was like, okay, you know, I got a cool, like, one-off pet. The rest of them are going to look normal. Mm-hmm. And then I look in the next day, and five more eggs attached. And out of those five eggs, two more were stonewashed. And that wow. was the moment I was like, this something is weird thing. going on here. Yeah. We need to figure this out. Jeez. <clears throat> so is, is your theory in that clutch that your hypo was, you know, actually turned out to be a head stonewashed? Or do you think, you know, the, the stonewashed gene could actually be something um, like a We're still trying dominant? to figure out if it's one of those things where there's like an allelic um, interaction. Mm-hmm. Or if it's just some of the hypos are head stonewashed. There still needs to be a little bit more breeding to figure out right. yeah. what exactly is going on there. Okay. But it's it's crazy. Like they like I told you how a stonewash when it comes out is like five times brighter than its siblings. Mm-hmm. When you have these hypo stonewashes come out, you see these siblings that are like it, for mine they were half blood hypos. But you look at those and you're like, oh my god, because they are so much brighter than even those hypo looking siblings. Jeez. You look at these things and they are pink for the first couple of sheds it's crazy wow that's really cool man it definitely seems like a it seems like a cool project i know i got to talk to you a little bit in uh daytona um you know when we linked up there i know you were telling me a lot about the the hypos and your stone wash projects and whatnot and then you know some of the stuff you're telling me definitely sounds like a really cool definitely a really cool project to be a part of yeah that was cool for sure. Man. Uh really, really surprised me. I ended up having to hold back that entire clutch. Yeah, I, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I awesome. Do not blame me there. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> Did someone recently produce the first hypo stripe? Am I imagining that? Um, okay, what? so it's kind of confusing where there is a genetic stripe morph, which mm-hmm. we talked about came from the Casey Lasik line. Yeah. But you know how, um, like in a coastal carpet python, sometimes some of the babies will have a natural stripe going mm-hmm. up and down their back from, like, you know, polygenics, natural yeah. variation. Right. There was that going on, but it was on a hypobrettles. Oh, okay. Because I remember and seeing And I've it. actually got a, that was in Australia, but I've got, coming in this week, actually, I've got a pair of full-blooded hypobredli that have, like, the last two-thirds of their body are completely striped. <laughs> So I'm working on that here in the U.S. Nice. You know, in the very early stages right now. That's we're, gonna be. We're really coming cool, to the top man. of the pyramid. Eventually, it's gonna be hypo stripe stonewash. <laughs> yeah, be and I actually think I might end up doing a um, a polygenetic stripe instead of the recessive stripe in my okay. hypo stripe stonewash stuff. Okay. That's really cool. I think there have been uh, 
from Stonewash Stripes produced. We aren't 100% sure yet, but, like, somebody bred two Stripe Brettles Pythons together, and then one out of four were, like, really, really bright. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there needs to be, a, like, one or two more test rings to figure out if they're really Stonewash yeah, Stripes. Yeah, that's actually a thing. That makes sense. So yeah. there's there's a recessive trait with the stripes, and there's also polygenic stripes within uh, brettles? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah, they're the only carpet that I think has been pr- – well, the only Morelia that's been proven to have a uh, genetic stripe, which is a purely recessive gene. Um, I've got a pair of uh, double-hut stonewash stripes, and they look completely normal. They don't look striped at all. Okay, that's yeah, that's interesting because anything with stripes with basically anything, you know, and whenever I think stripes, I automatically think it being a a polygenic trait, you know what I mean? That's yeah. uh, that's that's all I've ever kind of known within snakes no matter the the species I'm working with, you know, especially with carpets, you know. Yeah, um I actually don't have any of the genetic stripes and brittles. I've noticed uh I've never seen one that was like up to par with the color I would want. Right. Because it kind of makes them a little bit darker from what I've seen the genetic stripes do. Mm-hmm. Like you look at them, they're a little—they're not as red because all the parts that would have been red on the Brettles python have this giant white stripe going down it now. So yeah. you kind of take away the red parts of the body, if that makes any sense. Right. No, I definitely see what you mean because uh, you know now that you say that, any of the uh, the striped animals that I actually have seen within the uh, Brettles, they've. Now that you say that, I have noticed that they all have been a bit darker in a sense. Yeah. You know, There's a uh, couple pretty ones. Um, I know Nick Mutton has a really old female, and she is, like, perfect as far as I'm concerned as a genetic stripe. Like, perfectly striped and then perfectly red at the same time. It's crazy. Yeah, that's really cool, man. And they're, uh, I think she's actually a grandmother of the pair of double head stonewash stripes I have that I was talking about earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, man, that's awesome. Sounds like you got a got a lot of cool projects coming up in the uh in the future with these brothers. <laughs> ah, sorry about that cough. But uh what was that? I said it sounds like you have a lot of really cool projects coming up here in the future with uh with these brettles. Yeah, I got a couple things coming down the line that I'm really sure. excited about. Do you ever uh, do you ever plan on getting into anything other than brettles? I know you told me in Daytona right now that that's pretty much all you have. Do you ever do you have any plans on expanding it all? Into- oh yeah, I'm gonna branch out uh, as soon as I have the room to do it. Okay, all right. I've been looking at new stuff uh, like every day now. Okay. I don't know if it's gonna be a Morelia thing though. Okay, really? All right. What do you what do you uh, just just out of curiosity? What are you looking at right now? See, I flip-flop between a lot of things, but uh, I'm really liking the blue-tongue skinks right now. Okay. Uh, I'm liking some of the chameleon stuff. I'm actually, I started out as a lizard guy. Like, all throughout high school, I had lizards and turtles and stuff like that. But my lifestyle right now, it makes it easier for me to keep snakes. So I'm kind of thinking maybe I should go back to my roots a little bit and get some more lizard projects. Yeah, I remember uh, we were talking about skinks in Daytona. You were telling about the the Erie and Jaya blue tongues. uh, Yeah, you still need to get on those. Yeah, dude, I'm not going to lie, man. I've actually looked into it a little bit since you told me about it. I've looked at some of those uh, IJ skinks. I'm like, man, these are really freaking cool. 
it's funny, like you said, uh, they look exactly like a, like an IJ or a pop one carpet would look. You know, it's like it. They look exactly like that, except in you know skink. Yeah, form. except a skink. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool, man. I'm gonna have to have to see about that. I've always liked blue tongues. Yeah, I'm liking frill dragons too. That's something I've always really liked. And somebody posted up a really like, it was like white with a red uh, frill. Jeez. From New Guinea, it was awesome looking. That's awesome. Yeah. That's if really I had the cool. space and I wasn't going off in a month, you know, I'd probably jump on that thing. Right. Yeah, man, that's awesome. If you want some crested, you let me know. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't yeah, want any crested. Never really done it for me. <laughs> Damn it. But uh, except the toe case. I like the toe case stuff. Toe oh, you can cool. keep those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like these giant jerk. Geckos that bark in the middle of the night. Toke's, <laughs> I had one years ago, and man, oh man, did I hate that. <laughs> they, like, Toke's are legitimately, like, the only reptile that, like, gives me the willies. I don't know why. They just, like, they creep me out. I'm, like, I don't like them. This thing would bark in, like, the middle of the night. It's like a Furby. Oh, you ever have Furbies when you were a kid? Oh, God, yeah. In the yeah, middle of the night, they just, they just go off. Well, that's what this thing did. You'd be, like, trying to breathe. sleep, and this thing would start barking. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and i was like terrified to touch it because all they all it did was either like spaz out or try and murder me holy shit and so i just i was like man you need to go somewhere somewhere that isn't my i house. don't even remember how i got it i just i woke up it just one day appeared. i just woke up and it was there oh i was like gosh. what's that barking noise a 10 gallon tank in the corner with a toke in it like, shit <laughs> But I will say some of the, like the morphs they're doing in like Asia or wherever it is they're breeding like there's some like powder blue looking ones that are Dude, pretty cool. Looking. Have you seen the piebald tokes? Piebald ones, those are so cool. Dude, the piebalds are insane. They're looking, still man. mean. Yeah, Dude, I've <laughs> actually seen some really nice tokes before. They're out there, man. And I see the really big ones, and I'm like, why would you want to touch that? <laughs> Same reason you don't want a lichianus, man. Same. Yep. It's a giant gecko. Yeah. But uh, let's uh, let's move off the uh, let's, let's... the line topic and the gecko topic since we got onto that. Um, you know, classic tangents. Um, so how we do? Let's uh, let's bring it back to the basics, Casey. Um, talk, tell us about how you house uh, some of your some of your babies upwards to adults as far as enclosure size. You know, just just some of the basics for anybody that might be considering getting into uh, Brettles pythons. Okay. Um, let's start out with the babies. Okay. So when they're first born, like when they first come out of the egg, until they're about five months old, I use a uh, sea serpent tasseling rack. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't really know tub sizes that well, but I looked it up, and they're like a foot long, about seven inches wide, and about four inches tall. Okay. I think that's about a six-quart kind of standard, yeah. Yeah, I think that's yeah. a standard six-quart six tub, yeah. Six and a half to eight-quart, somewhere around there. Okay. I don't really use tubs that much for other stuff, but, uh, right. yeah, that's the only thing I'm using in a rack system. Um, then I'll use the, uh, you know the trick where you get that gardening fence stuff? That yeah. green fence you get at, like, Home Depot <laughs> or the hardware store or something like that? Yeah, I've got it. It's I funny keep, you bring that up. Brock keep... lost a whole roll of it when we needed it the most. Dude, somebody, <laughs> somebody came in and stole my roll of that plastic crap, all right? I was pissed. I tried to find it the other day, and it's just it's just gone. I don't know don't have to what yell. the heck happened. No, I'm pissed. Your, I'm still pissed about it. Use your inside voice. No, I will not use my inside voice. I'm still mad about this. It wasn't me that took it. Yeah, I doubt it. 
I doubt that. I'm pretty sure you you walked into my house in the night like the no. sneaky little bitch you are and stole my I'm shit. I'm not that little. <laughs> no, you're not, but you're sneaky. <laughs> but yeah, so sorry. <laughs> we had a roll of it. It disappeared. It's Bratz's fault. That's the end of the story. Whatever, dude. Uh, I've, I've probably got tons of it in my house. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, okay, so you use that stuff. and uh... Yeah, yeah, and then I'll use uh, just a little PVC tube. Okay. Like mm-hmm. a PVC pipe tube. That's what I use as a hide. I chop one, chop new ones uh, every time I get a clutch, and then I'll throw the old ones away. Okay. Um, but yeah, then once they move up to five months old, I usually will move them into an enclosure of some type. I had a. Did I ever get to show you, uh, Jacob, the setup I've got? No, I don't think you showed me any, any of your cages. No. Ah, oh, dude, I've got some crazy PVC. I got, got like, I've got like a wall of. PVC cages that I just had built, and they're awesome. Nice. Uh, they're 24 long, 18 wide, and 16 high. They got radiant heat panels, and they have an LED bulb. Okay. Nice. And then I use that. I got a, a shelf that runs long ways and then one that goes across for, a, like, a basking spot. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and that's what I'm using for anything over five months old up until I haven't really decided when I'm going to move them out there. Yet, probably like a year and a half, maybe. Okay, so basically once they leave their hatchling tubs, they go straight into a two-foot enclosure? Yeah, basically. Okay, cool. Then they, they do pretty well in that in that setup, that size setup? Yeah. Um, I have not had an issue with like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, when you get them out of a small cage, they don't want to eat. Yeah, yeah. I've never had that issue with these I've guys at all. I've never had an issue with mine refusing food ever. Yeah, yeah. I, I really feel like that whole thing about, you know, if is them being in too big of an enclosure, if you take them out of something small, putting them in something bigger, you know, I really feel like it's a bit overblown, you know, as long that's as the first I've even heard of that being a thing with them. To me, that's like they're one of the easiest well, I, pieces you know, of they, pythons they, to keep. Like they you can they really are. Yeah, if they you, like, say kill that one about of these a things, lot of really species. Though. Up. Yeah. yeah, they say that about a lot of species, though, as far as, you know going into bigger enclosures but i've personally never ran into that with, with, any, the, with any carpet species the you know, opinion that brevels. smaller is better has always yeah. been my, my take yeah but uh so from the two footer so what kind of temperatures do you keep in uh in your two foot enclosures so in those ones i set the basking spot or i set the um the probe for the radiant heat panel to about 83 degrees and then directly under it, that means it's just usually about 87, 88. And then the rest of the cage will be mid-80s, maybe high 70s during the day. Okay. And then at night, uh, I turn off all heat. Okay. I don't do that heated room thing a lot of people do for their stuff. Yeah. Um, so my room's like 72 to 65, somewhere around in there. Mm-hmm. So they go down to that every single night. Uh, usually my daytime is about 13 hours during the summertime and then eight hours in the wintertime. I'm actually in the process of bringing them down in photo period Okay. okay. right now. Um, but yeah, I had an issue a while back with some hatchlings that I tried to keep on 24 hour heat where they always had access to an 88 degree hotspot mm-hmm. in their little hatchling rack. And I had uh, regurge issues. Really? Yeah. And I stopped giving them the 24 hour hotspot. And they stopped throwing up. Wow, and this year, I uh, let them get a night drop, and they have never thrown up. And mm. so you do that with babies from you know from <clears throat> hatchlings to five-month-olds yeah, to adults. Yeah, they're out of the egg. They take a drop down to like 
67, 68. See, that's what I'm talking about. Like, what other species can you do that with yeah. other than, like, diamond pythons? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That's why I I love them. That's why brettles have become one of my favorite species yeah. of snakes, period, yeah. to have. Like, second to chondros, I think. Like, yeah. they're just, they're really cool. Like, mine are always out and about. You know, I walk into my room, my female comes out, starts cruising, begging for food. Yeah. Um, like, <laughs> they're just, they're they're really hard to kill. Yeah. I mean, that's... Yeah. I've actually noticed the babies like to eat more when it's like 65 degrees. Wow. Huh. Like over the wintertime, yeah, their feeding response goes up when it's cold. Dang, that makes me rethink the heating situation for my one my one. Maybe she, I think that's why yours is so evil. <laughs> I don't that's know. Some of mine are really mean. It's like a one in three for a I've lot of I've noticed that, that That's exactly what Justin what has said. said. He's, is, like, he's like I every... Eight out of ten, there's <laughs> yeah. fine, but there's always those two. There's yeah. like a 20% that are just horrible. Dude, my my bread lies. she's such a dick, dude. Like, <laughs> honestly, like she hates me. She actually has gotten better as of recent, as long as she's fed. Like I can mm-hmm. take her out and handle her. But like sometimes like I'll have her out for cleaning or something, and I'll be holding her and be fine, mm-hmm. and then she'll kind of start to move a little bit. Then all of a sudden, like, the bottom of her chin will, like, touch my arm, and she'll just nail me, you know, for no reason. It's yeah. like, oh, my God. And uh, she's gotten to the size where if she, she tags you, you know, even if it's a, just a defensive bite, you know. It doesn't, doesn't feel great. Yeah, some of my babies that were half hypo, half elastic lines, uh, they were so – so defensive they would like must like garter snakes they Jeez. would i had one that i literally think would rather break her own spine than be picked up the way she would wiggle around and move Jeez. like they were so defensive i've never seen a carpet or a morelia at all do what they did like they would rear up like come at me bro every time you take them out of the cage <laughs> yeah Dang, mine does dude. that but that's just because she thinks that i've got food dude your brettles is honestly a sweetheart man she's I don't know, such though. a nice name. i don't know because dude, like i've lately I've, if i, I have walk out, up to that cage and i open it up and i just kind of like look at it for a second i slowly reach in and she's fine. if i have her out though lately i'll notice she'll start to nose my arm like she's just gonna <laughs> bite it for no reason like it's really strange like she's never been since day one yeah. since i got her she's been fine but there's some days where i pick her up and she, i can tell she's kind of like eyeballing my forearm and she'll kind of nose it a little bit i'm like what are you doing like cut yeah it the food bite the little guy he's fine he's never even tried to bite at all he doesn't yeah. care like he's he's really mellow no dude yeah. my, my... Off topic, have you guys ever noticed there's like two or three different types of bites oh yeah there's, so there's there... the angry defensive bite there's the i'm gonna kill this and eat it bite and then there's the one where, like, this might be food. The, the, the shark bite that's yeah. like, I'm going to take a nibble just to see what it is, and if I like it, I'll just keep going. Yeah, I've told this about people when you're picking up wild snakes. Like, maybe the first couple minutes you pick up a wild snake, it's going to start snapping, doing that defensive bite. And then they calm down after a little while, but then then they'll start, like, feeling up your forearm or something. I'm like, that, yep. uh, that's the food bite. There's, there's two different yeah. types of bites you're going to get when you're picking up a wild snake. trying to kill yeah. me. Wait, it I, might be food. Well, maybe I'm not yeah. sure. I, <laughs> I, I pretty much break it down into – I what I tell people is like, – I don't try to get too technical with it. Is I tell people there's a defensive bite and there's a food bite. There's a bite yeah. that's saying you need to get away from me and there's a bite that's saying I'm going to eat you. And I've had both. And the I took one from a, a larger carpet. He wasn't huge, but he was, he was big enough and he was a, a jag. That, uh, yeah, that's why I'd they, never try to pre-handle a hot. Right? Yeah, no. I, I think you could. It's I not think smart. I could pick one up and not get a defensive bite, but I'm afraid that if I did that, I would get that like nuzzling up against your forearm, and then 
Yeah, I can tell you right now, doing that with like a five foot gaboon would probably not end well. No, no. Because when they when they do the food like bikes, they, they hold you know, on. My heart beat. Even let go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can tell you uh, firsthand. Venomous snake bites. Left hand or right hand? Fun. First left hand. First left hand. First left hand. Actually, first left hand thumb. Yeah, <laughs> that, that uh, it doesn't. It's not a fun, uh, not a fun experience. Even though I wasn't free handling, but I was being stupid. So you know, there's that. But uh, okay, so oh, now that we've oh, got sorry, off, we got a little distracted there. Got distracted again. So moving on to adults, uh, take your take your biggest female, biggest male, whatever it is. How big is your enclosure? Okay, so males and females, I use different enclosures. Okay, I keep my males really small, okay. which I think is kind of helped me out getting a little bit of success. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, like my breeder males, uh, they're like less than eight hundred grams. They're little. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah, like I keep my males tiny. Yeah, nothing wrong with that, man. I, I really, if, as long as they're healthy, you know, I feel like at that weight and that size, I, it's it means they're strong. They have more muscle and they're more yeah, toned they're very than wiry. anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. But, so. uh, yeah, I keep them in a, uh, I think it's 24 by 36 and then 18 tall. Okay. The shelves. So I use pretty big enclosures for, uh, you know, those little bitty males. Mm-hmm. And they seem to like that. They crawl around a lot more, or at least the ones that I've raised up from babies seem to move around a lot more. Right. Okay. And uh, what about... Uh, same uh, temperatures, all that stuff. Uh, they still get cold. Yeah, okay, okay. And, uh, and then adult females. Um, up until recently, I had not had an adult female that I had raised, if that makes sense. Like, I had, ba- I had females that I bought as adults. <clears throat> Okay. And they were really, really overweight, in my opinion. Yeah. So they didn't move much. So I was kind of under the impression, like, okay, well, they're not going to move once they're a certain size. Mm-hmm. But these females that I've raised up, you know, I've kind of kept them more on the leaner side. I haven't let them become, you know, eight-foot monsters like some people do. Mm-hmm. And they're a lot more, uh, they move around a lot more. They yeah. climb more. It's kind of made me rethink, like, caging size because I've got a an eight-footer in a two by four and she doesn't move at all unless she is about to lay eggs you know she's very lazy she's old i think she was actually from the dhb clutch in 2009 okay from okay. stone she's my old stone girl okay but yeah some of these ones i've raised up they uh they're much more mobile than than she is okay and are, are those females in two by fours as well uh yes but i think i'm gonna upgrade them okay just where- seeing how much they move around are you thinking something like a two by six, or what? What are you thinking for that? I'm um, thinking more height. More I'm noticing they're wanting to climb more. Okay, so you're gonna go like two by four, say by like three or something like that. Yeah, maybe by three. Okay, good. But you're gonna keep the same, like as far as like the the length and width, you're gonna keep it at about four by. Yeah, three. I am limited on space. Okay. But they seem to want to climb more than they want to move around. At least the ones that you know I've raised from babies. The ones that I got as adults don't seem to want to climb much. And right. I think it's because they were fat. Right, right. Yeah, they, I definitely... I, like, you put them in a room and see what they want to do, and, you know, they'll just crawl around on the ground. They never want to climb. Right. It's really weird. Yeah, that's uh, one thing, you know, I've noticed with my, my brettles. So she's definitely, you know, given the opportunity, she absolutely will climb. Um, yeah. If, uh, <laughs> if, she has, if she has the space. Um, so I, I definitely try to give that to her. Um, so, uh, 
with that said, do you consider brettles to be uh, some of the more arboreal species? You know, even though they're not, you know, comparing them to carpet pythons. I would you know, give, I know given their natural history. I would, I would say, say yeah, more arboreal than any other. Well, arboreal being kind of a semi-arboreal. Like, you know, they're but, not yeah. like tree dwelling, but they yeah, are like they do enjoy yeah. to, cr- to climb. Yeah, uh, there are a bunch of eucalyptus trees up there mm-hmm. that I've seen pictures of them climbing around in. There seems to be a, not a huge number of mammals where they're from over in the Western McDonald region. Yeah. Okay. But there's a huge number of birds. Yeah. Okay. I've actually got a picture of one eating a duck, of all things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You told me about that picture. Yeah. Yeah. I you saying that. Got to get what It's you in can. the water eating a duck. It's the weirdest thing ever for, like, a desert python. <laughs> but you see, like, all kinds of parrots, all kinds of uh, cockatoos. Yeah. Stuff like that is over there, and then there's like rabbits that aren't native, and then there's like a couple of smaller wallabies mm-hmm. that they may eat when they're gigantic, but there's no way that like a subadult would ever kill one of these things. Right. Which kind of makes me think maybe they're bird eaters for most of their lives, and then maybe a big one would eat a right. wallaby or something every once in a while. Mm-hmm. What do you that'd do? Have you, to be a monster as now. far as feeding yours from the time they're to. They're babies to adults. Do you have a preference as far as mice to rats? Do you switch them over? Do you change up uh, I've never had a problem switching them between anything. I uh, start them out on hopper mice. Mm-hmm. To get babies eating, I'll uh, throw in live hoppers for, like, the first feeding, and I've never had an issue. Uh... Well, let me put it this way. With the first clutch I ever had, there were 19 babies, and 17 ate the first time they were ever offered food. Wow. And then the next year, uh, this year, I had 19 again, and all but one ate. Hmm. First time around. First time around. And then I got the other ones to eat within, like, a month, maybe. Nice. And were you waiting for them to get their first shed out of the way before offering them food? or? Yeah, I let them shed, and then I uh, maybe waited a week after that. And then I threw in live hopper mice. That's that's one thing I've heard with any of the any of your carpet species um, is, you know, a lot of people try to get them to eat right out of the egg. And I, one thing I've heard is let them get hungry. You know, yeah, let them get hungry. Let them sit. Uh, let them, let keep them... them with a colder night. Yeah, and maybe that's just me kind of preaching my own uh, observations, but I think maybe a slightly colder night will get them going. I mean, do you do that temperature? Do you cut off the heat like literally? After they've come out, like the first, you yeah. know, first night, they're no wow. heat, no nothing. You up there? Yeah, they hatch up in the middle of the night. I just put them in the rack with nothing. Wow. Okay. And then the next morning, they get a hot spot that's uh, 88 degrees Fahrenheit for 13 hours, and then shuts off wherever the room is. Hmm. But in the summertime, the room's usually like, usually it's like 72, 74, somewhere in there. So they're not like freezing cold. Right. Okay. Because that's pretty much how mine is. Like, I have the AC yeah. set in the in the There's loading. definitely a species you can keep without having the classic, like, 82-degree hot spot yeah, room. Yeah, because I offer, I give mine heat 24-7. I haven't had any issues with mine as far as regurgies yeah. go. Mine are all, like, mine are doing just fine. Right. Um, but that is one species that, like, if it were winter and, like, the power went out or something, I would be, like, they would be last on my list of species I'd be worrying yeah, about as far as what I have. Yeah. <clears throat> That's one of the things I like about them so much is they're like they're pretty bulletproof. Like yeah. people don't realize the the you know the temperature extremes they experience uh, as far as seasonality and stuff where they're from is pretty extreme. Uh, That's crazy extreme. Because <clears throat> it gets like what over like triple digits in the summer, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it can be. It's rare. Usually, it's about like low nineties, and I don't think they're out then. I think they're like huddled up. Yeah. But I, you know, I've never, I haven't been there yet, so I can't tell you for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But my guess is that once it's really hot, they're huddled up, and then when the nighttime comes, they're out and about. That's mm-hmm. kind of what I've seen with my captive ones. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it can easily hit a uh, hundred degrees Fahrenheit a couple times during the year. I don't think it'd be a consistent thing. Mm-hmm. And then in the winter time, uh, I've seen lows below freezing. Yeah, that's what that's, I've heard too. Yeah, and yeah, twenty-seven Fahrenheit is the coldest I've ever seen down there. Wow. That's that's a very, very. That's colder than it gets here different. most yeah, of the time. In it's winter. rare for it to get twenty-seven here. Yeah, you know, we'll hit that. You know, maybe a couple days. We'll get like out of high thirties. Yeah, yeah. That's, and that's cold, man. Uh, that's that's freaking cold, here. man. The schools shut down because the roads have a little bit of ice <laughs> on them, and. Everybody in yeah, I'm from I'm from Georgia. I, I think we're on the similar uh, yeah, temperature yeah, over here. Yeah, you definitely uh, you definitely know what we're talking about then. But uh, since we're on the subject, um, let's talk about how you go about breeding these guys and getting that temperature not, drop. Like they're it, easy to keep, but getting right. them to produce, from what I've read, is not yeah, as because easy you can't as just, everything else. It's hard. Them. You can't just cool your room down to. 50 degrees at night you know yeah. that's not exactly the easiest thing to do but you talked to me a little bit in uh, daytona about your breeding technique and uh, do you mind sharing a little bit about that with us yeah um well i think people do usually what people do to breed these guys is they'll put them in a different room mm-hmm. that you can get a little bit colder especially somebody that keeps if you keep corn snakes and breed corn snakes it's probably not going to be an issue right. to breed brettles <clears throat> um what i do since i live down here in georgia I cannot get a room that, like, down to 60 degrees most of the time. It's right. very, very difficult. So every night uh, I'll take the pairs that I'm going to breed in the wintertime. I'll put them in a, like, a lockable uh, sweater box container. And I'll move them out of the room, and I have a window in my basement that I'll crack open just a little bit so that a little bit of cold air from outside can come in. Mm-hmm. And I will put them right up against the window. So, I try to shoot for them getting to about, like, 55 mm-hmm. right. most nights. And then I will uh, bring them back in during the day. Like, I don't let them go cold all the time. Yeah. They have to have a warm-up period. Okay, so... Which ba- I tried it without a warm-up period once when I was first getting into this, because I was cocky and was like, well, I'm just going to read the natural history, and uh, everything's going to be great. And I managed to get one really, really sick. Oh, no. So, yeah, uh, let them warm up in the daytime. Okay. So, basically, you know, you'll leave them in your enclosure for the day, and then every night during breeding season, you'll pull them out, put them up. Yeah, about 10 o'clock at night, I will pick them up, put them in a container, close the door in the container, then walk them into the different room with the window, like, slightly Mm -hmm. cracked open, and let that container get cold until probably about 7.30 in the morning, and then I'll put them back in their cage. All right, all right, cool, cool. And I do that from, uh, normally I do it from like the 1st of November into the middle of December. Okay. And, uh, but that's, there are people that have done it without that extreme of a cold, right. a cool down. Right. I think anything below like 67 degrees Fahrenheit would probably get you there. Mm. And I know uh, Austin Warwick, who you guys had on last week. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I think he said that he got his cold for like two weeks the first time he did it, and they managed to breed for him. 
So I don't think it's like one of those things where you need to get them cold all winter. I think they need to have a couple weeks where they're like kind of cold. Where they're actually you know experiencing I mean? some sort of fluctuation. Yeah. Yeah. And but uh, they're really strong. I've let mine get down to like the mid 40s. I've mm-hmm. clocked them in in a couple mornings. Wow. And I got eggs. Hmm. Now, is and it true that the males actually need a few more need more time to be ready to breed because I was reading something recently I think it was in the Brettles group on Facebook that was saying males need to be like you can't just have a a male that's you know a year and a half or whatever and pair them up like you need to actually have them yeah there's a couple Europeans that have claimed they've gotten uh, 18 month old males to breed but I have not like seen it in the U.S. I've, Most I, people say they don't even breed until they're three and a half years old. I've heard that about the females as well. You know, your average, you know, in the carpet yeah. python world, your average female is three to four years old. Most people shoot for about three, you know, and some of your coastals you want to shoot for four. But I've heard people say for brettles, you need to wait till they're at least five or six years old to try and let them reproduce. Is that is that correct? Um. Okay, so I've never been able to get a female... Uh, other than my like oldest adults to breed yet, I'm trying a three and a half year old female this year, which I think she might go. Mm-hmm. I think three and a half year olds for a female is a minimum, unless you're Ralph Polinski, who seems to be able to breed them at two and a half somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, people will say that males don't breed until they're three and a half either, though. Uh, okay. I got a male to breed at two and a half years old, and I know Austin did the same. Hmm. It was kind of one of those things where I think 2016 Austin got his. Afro's male to breed at two and a half years old, so I tried a hypo male out, and I got success too. Hmm. After seeing that, but you, I had read forever that a male doesn't breed until they're three and a half years old, and I think most of the time that's true. You might every once in a while get a male that was kind of mean to go early, but for the most part, I don't think you're gonna get a male to go until he's three and a half. Okay. Yeah, I've and I tried a three and a half year old hypo female last year, and the males were interested in her, like they would come up and they'd spur. Yeah. She would do everything in her power to buck them off. Okay. Like, she wanted nothing to do with a boy. I saw three locks, and I bet he had to fight for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. And, yeah, uh, three locks, no babies. Um, I'm thinking that I might get some hypobrettles this year. Okay. That'd be awesome. From her, but uh, we'll see. I'm kind of... I'm going to have to do things a little bit differently this year, though. Yeah. Schedule-wise. For sure. And for uh, anybody listening who isn't into, you know, brettles that might still be into, you know, some of your, you know, your average carpets, um, Casey, brettles are spring breeders, correct? They breed during the, the yes. warmer months. Uh, okay. Brettles breed um, after they warm up. Yeah, okay. Unlike yeah, a lot that's... of pythons that breed during the cold season, brettles don't really seem to be that interested until you start raising the temperatures again. Right. That's what I was. That's what I was uh, gonna mention. You know, if you work with coastals or papuans or jungles, you know, you you breed during your cool down season. Whereas, you know, stuff like brettles and diamonds, I believe, uh, they're more of the uh, spring breeders. You know, for when it comes right. to the Morelia, or at least the the side of the Morelia complex, uh, as far as carpets go, you know you have your winter breeders and you have your spring breeders and brettles are in the in the spring group yeah and i guess another tip for that would be what i do when i start warming them back up is mm-hmm. i'll give them a little meal like an adult mouse to get their digestive system starting to go again right and then for females i will give them a big meal 
like really? a massive rat, or I'm thinking about getting guinea pigs this year. Like that, right after you start warming them back up. So that's right off the bat. As soon as their temperatures start raising up, you give them a huge meal. As soon as their temperatures are all the way back up for like maybe a week or two, I give them the mouse, and then the next week I give them the massive rat. Okay, so so you do give them the males and females both a, a small meal at fir- the fir- very first meal is small, and yeah. then and then like, the next one is okay. Yeah, I don't do that with the males though. Okay, like the males, males, they get the mouse to kind of get the digestive system going again, but. They, they'll be interested in like a live mouse, but they're not interested in much else food-wise. Hmm. Interesting. But yeah, um, after you... the big meal though, the female will go into shed, and then once she sheds, that seems to be when the males are most interested in them. Okay. And do you do you feed during the breeding season? Like, do you do you offer your males and or, and or females food while, like while they're while they're breeding? Um, I don't for males. I will for females. Okay. And do you, do you shoot for smaller, smaller meals for them? Um, I've actually shot for bigger meals. Okay. During that time, but then yeah. females, they kind of, they'll take those first like one or two big meals, and then they don't really seem to want anything. So like I'll offer them something, but usually they don't seem to have too much interest in food. And have you done artificial or maternal incubation or both? Yeah, I was gonna ask. Um, about that. I have not done. Uh, maternal incubation yet. I only do artificial, and then I'll just do the classic. Oh, I guess it's not really classic. It's kind of newer, but the uh, the egg crate over the perlite stuff. Yeah. And then I actually set mine to uh, 86 and 87 degrees. Mm-hmm. But that's because I homemade my incubator, and I've always been kind of scared that, you know, I think they can handle cold but I don't know if they can handle hot. Mm-hmm. Like, I think if that incubator ever spiked up to, like, 95, those eggs would die. Probably. But if, for some reason, the incubator dropped down to, like, 84, I think they'd be okay. Yeah. And that seems to be, seems to have held true. They hatch out at, the first ones will hatch out 54, 55 days, and then most of them are out by, like, day 61. And what's the average size of the clutches you're getting? Uh, mine are big. Oh, uh... Well, the baby the baby size is big, but uh, I've gotten 19 eggs. I've only bred them twice, two years okay. in a row, um, and I've gotten 19 both times. Okay. Hmm. From the same female? Uh, yeah, my stonewash female is the only one I've gotten to breed so hmm. far. I tried for two uh, two clutches last year, but my apple girl didn't want to go. Hmm. Very cool, man. I just think it was an age thing, though. Yeah. But, yeah, those eggs, the, I read in uh, the Complete Carpet Python that the average size for a baby brettles is about 24 grams. And I've got some that are, like, 10 grams heavier than that. I've yeah. got some 33, 34 gram babies. Okay. And I, I would say that's from the, you, know, you incubating at a slightly lower temperature, shooting for that uh, longer incubation period versus the, the fast and furious route, you know, um, I've personally, I've always been a fan of a slightly longer incubation time. You know, I, I always feel like the babies come out a little bit more robust. Yeah. I don't know if it's that or just the fact that the mom was like eight feet long and eight (laughs) years old. Yeah. There's that too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Her eggs are significantly bigger than most carpet eggs I've seen. So you've got a, uh, moving on you've got a, a trip to australia coming up next month i've got a what you got a trip to australia coming up next month 
I do. I'm really excited about that, man. Yeah, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that. You know, where you're going and uh, what what you hope to find, and you know what you're expecting to find, and things of the sort. Okay, so I'm going to three different parts of Australia. Okay. I'm going to first. We're going from Atlanta to uh, to Sydney. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be in Sydney, uh, the Blue Mountains, which is like the mountain range, uh, probably about an hour and a half west mm-hmm. of where Sydney is. Uh, we're going to be spending two or three days out there. Um, I don't know if it's warm enough for diamond pythons right now, but I know that is the diamond python's habitat. Yeah. So we're really hoping to see those guys. Um, I know they have the uh, Australian water dragons out in some of these parks around there. Uh, I really want to see some of the skinks, too. There's two species of skinks in that exact region. Uh, they've got the, uh, the blotched, which are found up more in the mountains, and they have the easterns, which are found more in the lowlands. But we also are planning on going to a cave, which is an old, it's actually a man-made cave. It's an old abandoned uh, railroad tunnel where they have uh, glowworms hanging from the ceiling. Oh, wow. Sounds haunted. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I hope it's haunted. (laughs) I hope it's haunted. (laughs) I hope it's haunted. You're a freaking psychopath. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, man, that sounds really cool. Um, I don't do that. Yeah, then from Sydney, though, we're flying down to uh, Tasmania. Okay, yeah, that'll that'll be really cool. Yeah, what are you, and it's supposed uh, to be pretty cold down there, so I don't know if we're going to see any reptiles there. But okay. that's more of like uh, that's more of like mountains and scenery and stuff like that that we're going to see. Right. We're right. Our, we are staying at a lodge though. It's the only like actual hotel kind of thing we're staying at, where they have um, Tasmanian devils. That are supposed uh, to be very common in so that you can one little hear them spot. scream in the middle of the night too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> those guys in the spotted quolls, and apparently they have a tour where the guy will take you out to an area with platypi. Oh uh, no way, dude! I do. I gotta say, platypi are like some of my they're favorite so cool, animals, aren't they? dude. They're they're, they're weird so freaking cool, man. I always. I always like spout out just like random crap about them sometimes. You God know, was really to... confused when he made that one. <laughs> He was drunk. <laughs> or he got real creative. He's like, you know, I'm about to blow everybody's mind Is that right blasphemous now. to say? I'm not religious, so I don't yeah, know. But to me, it's just like, God it was like, yeah, too many Mike's hard strawberry lemonades. <laughs> oh like, I got this leftover piece from a duck. I got these flippers from a seal. Like, and I got the got body the of like a, of a lizard, and I got this poisonous claw thing yeah. I hadn't used for anything else. Might as well throw it in, too. You know what, screw you, it lays eggs. <laughs> throw it on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Venomous no, duck cat. That's 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 honestly really cool, man. If I could go see wild platypi, I'd be I'd be stoked. I would be so happy. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. How are, are you going with anybody? Is that like how are you? How did you go about like orchestrating this trip? Because I've always I really, at some point in my life, want to be able to go maybe to Australia. I don't know. Like, I, you know, I've always, t- like, Thailand and stuff, too. Like, what do you... Oh, yeah. Did you go through, like, a certain service or something that sets this up? Or were you just hitchhiking to, to Australia? Or... <laughs> <coughs> um, yeah, I'm going with my best friend from high school. Okay. Uh he and I, originally we were just going to go to Alice Springs, which we're also going there in the last leg of the trip. Mm-hmm. We're going to go look for wild brittles pythons. Yeah. But, 
Yeah, uh, originally I was wanting to do like a week and a half in just Alice Springs. And I was like, I need somebody to come with me. Dude, you want to come? Because he, uh, he just got out of the National Guard. Mm-hmm. He was like, I got all kinds of free time. And yeah. he hiked uh, parts of the Appalachian Trail, so I know for a fact this guy is able to do stuff like this. Yeah, like you're not going to get kidnapped like in Mad Max, and he's not going to bail on you. Like he's actually going to try and yeah, save exactly. you. Yeah, exactly. Because, yeah, Area Land Alex Springs is uh, it's a lot like Mad Max from what I've that's seen. What I, yeah, that's what I've seen too. <laughs> I'm ready. But yeah, we're planning on going out there, and he's like, let's go somewhere else too. I was like, yeah. no, I just want to go to Sydney. I just want to go to Alice Springs. And then we start talking. I'm like, you know what? We're already going to have to go to Sydney anyway. Yeah. The only way to broke. fly in to Australia, I think, are Sydney and Brisbane. Mm-hmm. I think those are the only two places. So, like, you know what? Let's just spend a couple of days in Sydney. Yeah. And then we see that there's another trip we could do where the plane ticket is, like, 95 to to $100 a piece to go from Sydney to Tasmania. Mm. We're like, Why not? that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I know a bunch Throw of people that have Australia. I don't know anybody that's been to Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. That's, the, yeah, that's definitely not something you hear about. Now, how are you time. supposed to get to Alice Springs? Uh, we're going to fly from uh, Launceston Airport, which is a northern town in Tasmania. Then we're going to Melbourne, but we're just going to be in Melbourne for like 45 minutes. And then we're going over to the Alice Springs Airport. There's an there's a little airport in the middle of Alice Springs. Yeah, because that's kind of in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it's literally in the middle of nowhere. It's about like, as far away from anything as you can it's be. Like in dead Stubby center in land in the country. It's like yeah. if you look at yeah. it on a map, it's like if you bullseye it, that's you're pretty much there. Yeah. So how overall, how long is the trip gonna last? Like how many weeks? Uh, twenty days. Twenty days. Wow. Dang. Yeah. Be awesome. I can't tell you how jealous I am, man. Yeah. Like, I want to go to Australia so you know, it's bad. The first thing I thought of was like, dude, I'd take so many cigars and smoke cigars in Australia. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> you take a selfie with everyone, too. You take an Instagram I video would. of every single cigar you, you smoke though, in Australia. Man. Like, their rules are so strict on what you can import and export. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they're also really the strict on rules would be, but I've. Their, their laws are. They're strict like, on anything, like taking pictures crazy. of animals, like. Apparently, you can get in trouble for even trying to move an animal off the road to save it. Yeah, I, yeah. I've there's, heard there's uh, a lot of parts of people getting, having a police officer come up and write them a ticket for trying to move an animal off the road. Snake's still on the road, and somebody drives and kills it with their car, and they'll just keep writing the ticket because it's not illegal to kill it; it's illegal to touch it, which Jeez. makes no sense. Yeah, there's. I'm a couple. I'm friends with. Um, quite a few people on um on facebook that are from australia and uh they say you know they post all the time about how it's illegal to even touch snakes don't breathe on there you know unless you yeah. unless you have you know a permit to don't do even so. look at it <laughs> <laughs> trying to move like a brown snake while like not looking at it directly and like blindfolded like yeah. i'm sorry not touching it <laughs> jesus and it I can almost see the logic behind it, though, considering everything there that's not a python is, like, So venomous. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> I haven't really not looked at it. kind of toxic, like, extremely yeah, toxic. I haven't yeah. looked at it from that standpoint. That actually makes more sense. Yeah, no, but, it makes perfect sense. Like, if it's not a carpet python or a scrub much python, a colubra it's probably going to kill you, you, yeah, you know? A lapid <laughs> that will kill you, not a colubra. Yeah. That's what Nick Mutton has told me. He's like, look, man, if you don't know what that is, don't like, touch it. You cannot immediately it. identify it as a python. It can kill you. Don't touch it. Yeah, that's like a pretty uh, good policy to have. That's if it's not a carpet python. Yeah, 
don't even. <laughs> it's not a carpet, a brettles, a scrub, yeah. or an anteresia. Don't touch it. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it makes sense to me. You know, I feel like I, I wish we had more laws similar to that here in the U.S. because I feel like people kill snakes way. I mean, too after one, I'm glad we don't. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's your like part to of me. Stuff. Yeah, no, me too, but like, you know, it's still I just I wish people could get tickets for killing garter snakes yeah. and rat snakes. It, it pisses Well, there me are off. laws in place where you're not like it's illegal to kill snakes, but no one enforces that because no. they don't care. Yeah, no one cares. No one no. cares about our creepy crawlies. Yeah, man. play volleyball with a kitten and everyone loses their mind. <laughs> but you're like kill a freaking <laughs> copperhead or no one cares. Oh my god. Well, I have not analogy. actually, yeah, I have not actually played volleyball. Can't move that kind of quick. A, I was about to I say, like, that escalated so I like fast. Cats. It wasn't a specific reference. It Vol- never actually happened. Volleyball okay. with a kitten. Just, are you okay? I don't like, know. Do I need to take you to the to... hospital right now? Or... What else was I supposed to say? Something that wasn't volleyball with a kitten. Something. Okay. That's... What is wrong with you? Man. <laughs> I was about to say soccer with a puppy, but that's even Oh worse. my God! <laughs> Dude! <laughs> Jeez, I don't. Man. I'm Brutal. not into animal abuse. Okay, it was just. Yeah, no, we, I didn't think you were. I know. Yeah, we I'm just. I'm letting the general right audience away. know. Yeah, we need to disclose that. I people, love dogs. People will stop I cats. To our show over that. I don't play recreational sports with either. <laughs> Dude, I already got. You know, like the last episode when I talked about Wisconsin and I talked smack about Wisconsin. I had like three people come out of the woodwork that were actually Boom! mad that I talked. They were like, yes, uh, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, because Wisconsin is the state. Now it is the greatest state in the world. People upset because I said the things I said. Yeah. Maybe you should watch your tongue, Justin. Watch your mouth on this show. Don't talk bad about my state. I had a question to ask, and now I can't remember it. Thanks. Uh, man, we haven't even talked about Alice Springs and all the crap I had to go through there. Man, finding what? a four-wheel drive rental car in Alice Springs when you're 24 <laughs> is next to impossible. I finally found somebody that would do it. Damn. They just don't trust you? The is it trick because is you're I'm not allowed to drive at night. You're not allowed to drive at night? Yeah. My... Well, the more I've looked into it, though, the more it's kind of making some sense. The kangaroos are everywhere, man. Yeah, that's what I've heard. If you drive at night in some of these places, you are all but guaranteed to hit a kangaroo. What? They're like deer here. They're Yeah, worse like, than deer. They're everywhere. Dude, that's yeah. that's so weird to think about, man. Like, I couldn't imagine a freaking kangaroo. Just I would freak out thinking I hit like a, a person. Yeah, just, like one of the sand people from Star Wars or something. <laughs> I'd be like, oh god. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. It, they're not, it's worse too, though. They're um, not light turns out either. Barrel camels. What? The one the road from Alice Springs to uh, we're going to Ayers Rock too, or Aluru. Mm-hmm. And it turns out there's a really big uh, herd of feral camels. I don't wow. know if you've ever seen a camel, but I imagine they're if you hit one big. with a car, yeah. uh, your car's right. going to explode. I mean, that's... Like you're going to die. There's, yeah, no, that, there's no surviving hitting a no, camel with a car, like a no matter how big that car legs. is. Yeah, that, those things are freaking huge, man. That's, that'd be like hitting a horse. How come they Except don't just bigger. rent those out? Camels? They do somewhere, I think. I think <laughs> you can ride them. I don't know if I want to. Make the experience authentic. Just get you a camel and a backpack and like... Casey, if... An area rug to throw over the back of it, and then you just ride off... 
Casey, if we don't have a picture of you riding a camel while you're yeah, there. If you're going to gonna, gonna yeah, go to Australia and not get a yeah, picture riding a camel, why yeah, even go? Yeah, dude. You got to <laughs> you gotta take that picture. You got to send it to us. And when uh, we do your review. No, going to be a captive camel. That's going to be like a wild camel we found on the side of the road. I had to wrestle it down. <laughs> yeah. And... Hold on for the full eight seconds. <laughs> That's what you... like a like a Mustang. Yeah. What you got to do is pull up next to it on the car and get on top of the car and then jump on it. It'd be great. It'd be Indiana awesome. Jones. Yeah, it would be awesome. Just grab it around his we neck. Need, we need a picture, and it can be our cover photo for uh, <laughs> we're, we're our uh, post Australia episode. It'd be great, man. <laughs> Casey, or we can go. Casey Cannon died. <laughs> oh, was a crocodile? No man, a camel. We can go. Dude, we, we dared him to ride a camel, and I don't know what happened. Uh, just no one made him do it. Me. <laughs> <laughs> it was his own decision. I swear. <laughs> They wouldn't let him rent a car, okay? It's not our fault. <laughs> uh, yeah, we found a really sketchy way around that, though. Uh, we're going to rent mountain bikes and use those to road cruise at night. Hey, that's actually not a bad idea. But then what yeah, if somebody hits you car, instead though. of a kangaroo? <laughs> that would be my paranoia. Because it sounds like it's kind of like driving out west, like on your way in between like large stretches of state where everyone there's like no speed limit. Everyone just guns it. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I mean, biking an elk crossing the road. I've been to Montana a couple times, yeah. and uh, I've had quite a few buffalo stops. I mean, granted, you're probably gonna see them before they see you, but still, yeah, I don't know. People do funny stuff. Yeah, people that, are strange. That's still gonna be a lot of fun, though, man. Road cruising on mountain bikes—that's gonna be sweet. When are we gonna go on a trip like that? I don't know. You save, save your pennies, Brats, and take me on a trip. <laughs> you want me to take you on a trip? How about you save yeah. your pennies and we can split a trip like that? I'll bring some cards. Yeah, go in November. It's the cheapest month to go. November is the cheapest month to go. Yeah, that I've found at least. Okay, cool. I'm down. 20 days, though. That's like, that's a straight-up sabbatical. Yeah, dude. That's sweet. That's awesome. Yeah, planning a trip is really confusing because... Okay, so I'm leaving on November the 5th, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I land there on November the 7th. Mm-hmm. But the weirdest thing is I am never going to experience November 6, 2018. Oh, that's so weird. Like, it's not oh, going to exist God. for me. I'm going to go over a line, and it's going to go from November the 5th to November the 7th. It's a day you'll never get back. Oh, my God. Yeah. But then November the 25th, I think, is going to be like 40-something hours long. So it's like time travel. Yeah, yeah, it's like spaceball. Like a, ring, a, ring, a wrinkle in time. You're a time traveler, Casey. Yeah, we had one trip. We had one flight planned out where we were actually going to uh, fly from Sydney to Vancouver, and we were going to arrive two hours before we left. Whoa! Dude, you just, so just blew my mind. <laughs> like, my Ron's brain just, just exploded. Ron's just shorted a circuit just now. Like I saw it in his face. He's like, what? <laughs> He's so confused. He's like, what do you mean? That that hurt my head so bad. That just... That's awesome. It's so hard to plan out anything, though. I want, like... Somebody needs to invent a planner where it plans, like, everything out by the hour because looking at it by, like, the day makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jeez. And they have this weird thing where, like, Alice Springs isn't on a full, like, hour time zone. They're on, like, a half hour. So they're, like, I think 14 and a half hours off from Atlanta. It's like the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's really weird. Like they might as well be going to the moon. <laughs> it looks like the moon in some places. 
a friend and I were looking at a map of this place. He's like, where the heck are you taking me, man? Yeah. <laughs> to <Jeez>. murder you. <laughs> this is where you go to die. <laughs> oh, did you ever see that movie Wolf Creek? Wolf Creek, no. I'm not. You should watch that before you go, Casey. It'll make I'll, you feel Okay. It'll I, make I you mean, feel there's great. a 17-hour flight where I'm stuck in a tube. That's, well, this so is a movie you need to watch. Wolf Creek. Yeah. That movie's yeah. creepy. Movie's I'm, th- I'm kind of a jittery guy too. I don't know how I'm going to pull off this. That's uh, going to be brutal for almost a full day. Yeah. That's, is there like is there going to be like a layover in any other countries? I mean, there has like there has to be. There's, There's no a couple hour layover in San Francisco from Atlanta but where like, we're going. That's it. So from Atlanta yeah. to San Francisco. And then Francisco it's a 17 hour flight from wow. San Francisco to Sydney. See, that kind of just baffles Jeez. me that they even have like the fuel to do that kind of thing. Yeah. I'm not a fan of flying. I've only done it a few times in my life, but I've done it enough yeah. where I'd never want to do it again. I like flying, man. So how do you want to plan a trip like this if you're gonna if you don't want to fly? Benadryl. Benadryl. Benadryl on a cruise ship. <laughs> I'll well, be a, I'll be <laughs> unconscious the entire time. Well, you're gonna have to take a lot of Benadryl to be I'll, unconscious for I'll seventeen hours. Put a straw in a little bottle and just drink it. Just drink Benadryl. I guess. Liquid Benadryl. You really, you really think they're gonna let, again. you think they're gonna let you take medications on the people plane. take that stuff on the planes all the time how do you th- like nobody likes flying like, I like flying I enjoy flying that explains a lot but. how does that what does that explain I like flying I've traveled I've gone to Texas a couple times quite a few times actually and I like flying thank you very much it's different when it's like two hours it's not two hours 17 hours is anyway, a long freaking time. I agree with Casey. That's a long time to be sitting <laughs> on the plane. Yeah. I mean, I've spent 19 hours in a car before, so I mean, there's that. But yeah, I but could, you can stop, stop the car and, and get, get out, out at any yeah. point. Yeah, that's a... Not really enough. 19 hours in the car still sounds awful. Yeah, it's oh, it sucks. I'm not a fan. Where were you nine, Where are you going 19 hours in a car? <laughs> da, 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 Wisconsin! Oh, <laughs> oh, go figure. Shout out to my Wisconsin peeps. Anybody out there? You bring your, you put your, your, dude, don't your do it. Chains on the tires to get through the, the blizzard. <laughs> no. Just the stagecoach fall in the gully. Go in the summer, you, you dick. <laughs> uh, Wisconsin's an amazing state, all right, man. Just are there any snakes up there? Not really. No. There's some. They they have mm. cool. I think they're called fox snakes. Yeah. They fox have snakes. like crazy orange heads and stuff they have those and they have like garter snakes. like if a bull snake and a corn yeah. snake had a baby yeah pretty much they're pretty cool though they have those it's probably some kind of garter snake up there too yeah right? i was gonna well, say they have like they a have garter everywhere. snake in like every corner of the, of the globe <laughs> if you look hard enough <laughs> yeah no <clears throat> they definitely don't have many but they're definitely out there yeah i got a garter snake in i think wyoming hey just nice. how far north they go yeah i think they have some they go into canada a little bit Garter snake in Canada? Canada has snakes? I think. Like, we're talking about garter snakes in Canada. Yeah, not far. Not like Arctic Circle. Yeah. But, hmm. I don't know. Learn something new every day. Mm-hmm. Not much from you, but, <laughs> you know. <that's... laughs> oh, touche. Yeah. That was right. a good one. That's what you get for calling me your little sister. That was a good one. I, I honestly have zero recollection of doing that. I, I'll never forget that. You hurt me deeply. It's okay. <laughs> I know you don't care. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What are we at? We're at 115. 115. Well, 
Casey, any uh, any closing remarks for this episode? Anything you'd like to add in about bread or anything we forgot? Yeah, anything that we did not go over. Anything you just want to in our brief rundown of like, here's what we're going to talk about. This, 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 this. Okay, go, go. Um, I mean, we probably forgot a lot of stuff. I I don't know. I don't remember everything we talked about. But I think we covered. Yeah, I uh, I can't remember. So <laughs> I think we covered most of the basics. Yeah, we probably and, covered like at least the basics. Yeah, we went over everything. You know, as much as you can squeeze in, and you know, an hour between an hour and yeah, hour. We somehow hour pull it off. Minutes. Yeah, we somehow make it work. Yeah, with all of our tangents and everything else. We Justin, stray a lot. Justin, I just realized I'm holding your name on a little piece of paper. I've been crumbling up. I just wanted to throw that That's out. from that Josh's Frogs order. Well, yeah, but another news, Justin's starting a bioactive vivarium. Yeah, no thanks to FedEx. <laughs> FedEx sucks. I've got it out for FedEx right now. I'm sorry. Man, FedEx screwed me over a couple of days ago. Hey, I'm sending a snake off to New York, and it got stuck in Indianapolis for oh, an extra night. No, dude. Well, I guess that's the nice thing about brettles is you don't have to worry about yeah, it being too care. cold. Yeah, they probably <laughs> like it. If anything, it's going to be better shaped by the time it gets to them than it <laughs> left. Well, hey, for the guy, so I mean, I was happy about that, but I hate it when stuff gets stuck. I don't I like shipping at all. See, yeah, my stuff dude, didn't even get stressful. stuck. Here's the here's the the sitch. The with the FedEx fiasco and Josh's sitch. Frogs, and this is absolutely no fault of Josh's Frogs whatsoever um, that I know of. Um, but I ordered False Bottom, put it in this tank, realized I didn't order enough, so I ordered two more bags of it. And this is, like, the first order of stuff I got, you know, it was supposed to be delivered on, like, a Thursday or whatever, and so then the tracker says it's on the truck for delivery. Well, 8 o'clock rolls around, it's like, we don't have any tracking info for this. And I'm like, okay, like, I don't have a package, and the tracker says it's been on the truck all day. Like, what the hell? So I called them, and they're like, oh, well, we'll give the driver your number, and we'll call him. And at this point, it's like 9 o'clock. I'm like, that dude's at home asleep, dude. Like, give me a break. Oh, no. <laughs> so I never got a call from anybody. And then I wake up at like 7.30 the next morning, and my package is somehow on the door, like doorstep there, like waiting for me. <clears throat> so then fast uh, what forward. What did you say it was? It was just some false bottom for this vivarium I built. Okay, at least it wasn't frogs or something. <clears throat> yeah, and that, I mean, it wasn't live. It's just, this is, I just don't understand, like, because then this exact same thing happened this week with the extra false bottom I ordered, where it said it was on the truck all day, and then it, like, 8 o'clock rolled around, and yeah, I don't have a package. Yeah, really dropping the ball. I've had a lot of people tell me that they've been screwing up in the last couple months. But I've never had any issues with the live and express stuff. Like, the express stuff is on time every time. Like, I have yet to have a problem with that. This is, like, home delivery or whatever it is, and, like, I called him this time, and I said, hey, last week, this kind of looked like this is what was happening, and it looks like it's going to happen again. And they were like, oh, okay, well, he still has an hour and a half to deliver. And I was like, I'm not getting my package today. Like, it's not happening. If it, they're usually here pretty regularly, and yeah. it just, it, whatever. But I got my package the next day again. The vivarium is built, and it looks pretty good, if I do say so myself. I thought Justin was going to lose his mind on FedEx. Like, he texted me just, like, swearing like I was a just freaking like, sailor, dude. He was so if it's, pissed. Don't <laughs> tell me it's on the truck if it's just not going to be delivered. I thought like, he was about, I thought he was about to hunt down every freaking FedEx driver out there, man. He was. I he had was one pissed. come into the shop today. FedEx like, driver? Yeah. Did you flip him off? No, and... he bought his cigars and he left. I was uh, like, uh, he was cool. All right, well, at least there's that. He said they're already dreading Christmas and stuff. I was like, yeah, I would too. <laughs> 
Well, Casey, how can uh, how can people find you on the Instagram, on the Facebooks? What how can they how can they contact you? Uh, look me up on Facebook. It's just uh, Casey Cannon. Okay. I'm working on maybe getting a website coming once I get back, which will be uh, cannonfirereptiles.com. Oh, nice. Hit me up but if you need I've help I've got a couple that. of snakes for sale still. I'd kind of like to move uh, at least a few of them before I get going. I'll have a few people to take care of them, but uh, I might be able to hook somebody up with a deal. Cool. Just cool. one less animal to worry about. And yeah. actually, if you want kind of a recap of this information, Casey sent me an article that I was going to put in her Petaculture magazine when I was working on that. Um, that's a project that kind of came and went. But either way, I started a website now for all these articles and stuff that I got from people that I'm going to continue to do called uh, theherpetaculture.com, and Casey's Brettles article is on that website. <clears throat> and it's pretty good. Nice. So. Yeah, I was happy with it. Yeah. I appreciate you doing that. I felt really bad because I did that magazine thing, and then it, I realized it was like way too much for me to do by myself. And I had a bunch of people send me stuff, and then I just kind of disappeared. And yeah, so I, I had a couple of them. Somebody did a pretty good job with the Bill Chameleon thing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, and so I had you know a handful of people send me some articles, and I just I you know I felt bad that I never really got around to, to using them since they spent the time to to make them for me and stuff. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to start a website and just start kind of carrying it that way instead of trying to package it all up each month into a magazine uh, and putting it out that way. It's just way easier this way. Yeah, it looks like a good setup. Yeah, I'm not a fan of the website theme, though. I'm trying to work on changing that. All right, man. Well, we really appreciate you uh, coming on the show. It's uh, been a been a great episode, very informal for anybody that uh, has been considering getting into brettles or is currently keeping maybe they can uh think about changing up the way they keep and uh if they're looking at breeding i'm sure this episode will definitely help out and uh yeah thanks for coming on man it was uh we had yeah. a lot of fun yeah. with thanks us for having you guys it's cool talking to you all right man we appreciate it have a good night all right you too all right <sighs> 16 another episode in the books and uh guys real quick um i just want to point something out or say something real quick um no and I wouldn't be saying this if uh, he hadn't posted it on his social media, um, but a <clears throat> a guy that we had on recently, Brandon Wheeler, um, we just got an update on his Facebook page that uh, he lost his little brother recently. and um, He was yesterday. Yeah. It's it, the 12th of October right yeah, now. That's, um, that's a hard thing, man. Like, that's, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's brutal. That's a big loss. So, Brandon, if you're listening to this, uh, condolences from uh, all of us, both of us here at the Herpeticulture Podcast. Absolutely. And um, anybody feels led to, you know, reach out to Brandon and uh, send him your condolences. You know, that's uh, anybody who's lost anybody in your life. You know, that's a uh, is not fun. It's definitely a hard thing to yeah. hard thing to bear, especially somebody like your brother. You know, that's. Um, rough that's a hard thing you know and, uh, we all we had a great time on that episode with brandon brandon's a great dude you know somebody i really look up to in the hobby and um it, it i really i'm hurting for him